Let's open our Bibles, please, to the book of Amos, chapter 9. We have in the ninth chapter the first part, or the very first verse, is the last one of these five visions of witness we spoke of. We started in chapter 7, 8, and 9 is the last one of them. And we see Jehovah Himself beside the altar. And uh, this is the last one of the visions of witness. Five of them we've had from chapter 7 down to here. And uh, we're going to see the Lord's judgment here is executed. On the devouring locusts, we had judgment was threatened and restrained. On the consuming fire, that's chapter 7, we had judgment threatened and restrained. Then we had the plumb line in chapter 7 also, and the judgment was settled or determined. Then we had the, in chapter 8, we had the basket of summer fruit, and we had the judgment was imminent. You know, the summer fruit is about to get too ripe to, to be any good, and you'd have to destroy it. Or, so it's very imminent. It's very immediate. And so in here, the last one of these visions of witness, we have Jehovah beside the altar, and that's chapter 9, verses 1 through 10. And here we find that the Lord's judgment is executed. And then from chapter 9, verse 11 on down through 15, we have one victorious wind-up of the whole book. And it speaks of a future uh, time and it has a prophetic meaning. And I hope we have time to get into all of it. I'd like to cover this chapter, if you will, with me. So let's look at verse 1. It says, I saw the Lord standing upon the altar, and he said, Smite the lintel and the door, that the post may shake, and cut them in the head, all of them, and I will slay the last of them with a sword. He that fleeth of them shall not flee away, and he that escapeth of them shall not be delivered. So we have the Lord standing beside the altar, and the people are assembled before him. And this verse indicates that uh, when he uh, speaks of smiting the door and the post, that they may shake, and uh, the actually, I guess the building it looks to me like the building collapses or whatever, and it uh, destroys the people. Cuts them. It says, "Cut them in the head, and slay the last of them with a sword." If their son gets out of the building, and he that fleeth of them shall not not flee away, and he that escapeth of them shall not be delivered. So he's talking about complete destruction here. And he says in verse 2, Though they dig into hell, thence shall mine hand take them. Can't get away from God's presence. And it says, Though they climb up to heaven, thence will I bring them down. And though they hide themselves in the top of Carmel, I will search and take them out thence. And they though be hid from my sight in the bottom of the sea, thence will I command the serpent, and he shall bite them. So in verse 2 it says, though they dig into hell. The word there is actually not the hell of the New Testament, but of the Old. And here it means Sheol, or the word is Sheol. And it's the world of, of spirits in the unknown regions. That's the meaning of the word Sheol. You know, there's a different word when Jesus says uh, they shall be cast into hell. And where the Gehenna word, which the fire is not quenched and uh, the fire is not quenched and the worm dieth not in the New Testament when Jesus uses a, a different word concerning uh, hell. But here, in the Old Testament, it's speaking of the world of spirits in the unknown regions. So wherever they go in an unknown world, God's going to find, uh, find them. And look at Psalm 139, if you will. Psalm 139, you have much the same thing pointed out here. It says in verse 7, <clears throat> notice, 
Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? You know, Jonah tried to flee from the presence of God. And he's out on the sea and in the storm. And he still wasn't away from God's presence. And when he got thrown into the sea, he still wasn't away from God's presence. God found him in the sea. And here it says, Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. Shows the presence of God. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. Still the same thing. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. So we see God's power and knowledge and presence and the fact that they could not get away from it. Uh, We have another verse in the book of Jeremiah, I believe. Let me see. Jeremiah 23. Jeremiah 23. And let's see what verse it is. I thought I had it marked, and I believe that I can probably find it. I think it's Jeremiah 23 and verse uh, 24. Look at verse 24 and see if this is it. He says, Can any hide himself in secret places? Look, that I shall not see him. God asked the question, Can any hide in secret places that I shall not see him? Saith the Lord, Do not I fill heaven and earth? saith the Lord. So he says that no one, he's as much as saying that no one can hide in any secret place where the Lord will not be able to find them. Hold your place in Amos chapter 9 now and we'll progress on as we go on down with the thoughts here. So we find that destruction and judgment was coming upon them. And we'll look at verse 3 again. And though they hide themselves in the top of Carmel, I will search and take them out thence. And though they be hid from my sight in the bottom of the sea, thence will I command the serpent, and he shall bite them. So it's an all-consuming judgment. And there's uh, no possibility of them escaping. You know, if we, if we realize the ever-presence of God, and the power of God, and the knowledge of God, He's all-seeing and all-knowing and all-powerful. And it says in verse 4, And though they go into the... They go into captivity before their enemies. Thence will I command the sword, and it shall slay them. And I will set mine eyes upon them for evil and not for good. My, what a judgment God says. He's talking about the destruction of the kingdom, the passing of the kingdom. And then he's going to talk about the renewing of the kingdom, the future of the kingdom. There's always going to be a future. The last, if it were not, if we didn't get to the last verses of this chapter, it would be a very dismal picture. It looked like God is just destroying everything about Israel and about His people. And Israel is, are, are the ones that are in view here. So look at verse uh, <clears throat> 5. And the Lord God of hosts is He that toucheth the land, toucheth the land, and it shall melt, and all that dwell therein shall mourn, and it shall rise up holy like a flood, and shall be drowned as by the flood of Egypt. It says, It is He that buildeth His stories in the heaven." And hath founded his troop in the earth. He that calleth for the waters of the sea and poureth them out upon the face of the earth. The Lord is his name. We've already referred to that earlier in our studies here in Amos. How that he calls for the waters of the earth and then he pours them out. Waters of the sea, rather, and pours them out on the face of the earth. We spoke of the uh, system wherein God is call the waters and the vapors and everything up into the clouds. And then he turns the clouds loose and... Uh, Causes the rain to fall upon the earth. But the same water circulated again and again. And purified each and every step of the way. You know, I've often wondered about the snow. They used to have, in the days they were uh, testing certain um, 
atomic testings and various things that were happening. They would say the snow that falls down, well, don't take a bite of that because it might have all the fallout and stuff in it. And you know, every time it snows and it's got pure white snow out there, I can't help but get a handful of that and eat it. I don't know if any of you ever do that, but I love to eat just plain old white, clear, beautiful snow. And uh, anyway, that's just my thing. may not be yours. But what I'm saying is that God calls, it's a wonderful way He cleanses everything that we have. And if it were not for God's uh, system of, of this in, uh, in the earth, we couldn't live upon this earth. It would, it would just be nothing but rot and decay and refuse. But God has put it into a system of cleansing and taking care of us while we're here upon the earth. So it says He calls, look, in verse 6, He calleth for the waters of the sea and poureth them out upon the face of the earth. The Lord is His name. Now then, verse 7 says, Are ye not as the children of the Ethiopians unto me? They had degraded themselves down to the, to the uh, level of the heathen nations. He says, You're just like the children of the Ethiopians unto me. And He used that to compare them. About as low and degraded as they could be at this particular time. Are ye not as the children of the Ethiopians unto me, O children of Israel? They had nothing above the heathen nations round about them. He says, You're just like them, saith the Lord. And then He says in verse 7, Have not I brought you up, brought up Israel out of the land of Egypt? He reminds them of their deliverance under Moses. He says, I'm the one that delivered you and brought you up out of Egypt. And the Philistines from Kephor and the Syrians from Kerr. And he asked those questions. Sometimes they were very easy to forget what God had done for them. And sometimes God's people are very easy to forget what He's done for us in this day and hour as well. You know, God give, gave them reminders all through the Old Testament. He gave them the feast and all the... Uh, ceremonies and ordinance and the things that he established for Israel's remembrance. And he said, remember this feast and what it means. Remember the Passover and keep observe it and remember what it means. Now, spoke of their deliverance from Egyptian bondage. And he gave them all these things to remind them. And over in the New Testament, Jesus gives us things to remind us. And Peter says, I want, to, I want you to always remember, though you often knew these things. When Peter writes in his epistles, he says, I want to keep on reminding you until the day of my decease, I'm going to remind you. And that's why God's people from time to time need to be reminded. All of us do. We're so easy to forget. We shouldn't be that easy to forget because His mercies are renewed every day. And His blessings are bestowed upon us so so much of the time and so often that it ought to be a constant reminder even that. All right, look at verse 8. Behold, the eyes of the Lord God are upon the sinful kingdom. He calls them a sinful kingdom. He called them earlier a what? A holy nation. And now here he calls them a sinful kingdom. And says the eyes of the Lord God are upon the sinful kingdom. The Bible says the eyes of the Lord are upon the ways of man. He seeth all his goings. He says there is no darkness, no shadow of death where the workers of iniquity may hide themselves. And he says the eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. So there are many things about God's eyes. But here he is upon a sinful kingdom. He says, And I will destroy it from off the face of the earth, saving that I will not utterly... This is the only hope. Now look at the, the hope beginning to come through. Saying, saving that I will not utterly destroy the house of Jacob, saith the Lord. 
I will not utterly destroy Israel. But he says in verse 9, For lo, I will command and I will sift the house of Israel among all nations, like as, uh, like as corn is sifted in a sieve. Yet shall not the least grain fall upon the earth. Not a grain of Israel shall be lost. That's God's promise, even though that he would sift them. You know, for years, for centuries, Israel has been shifted among the na- nations of the world. And then they've partially returned. And we have the conflict that exists today since 1948 over in the, the Holy Land, right? And it will continue to, to uh, be that way until Jesus comes and settles it all right. You know, we talk about the answer to the problem in the Middle East. You know, the real answer to the problem in the Middle East? Christ coming, isn't it? That's the real answer. And uh, it, it doesn't make any difference what all men try to do. They're going to meet with the same problem that's been in existence over there through the centuries. They may ease the situation from time to time somewhat, but the only final and complete answer will be when God keeps His word to Israel and they shall be established forever. And we'll get into that before it's, uh, uh, the, the chapter's over, that they will no more be pulled out of their land. And that will be the prophecy that we'll take up in just a little bit of a moment in this one victorious wind-up. But he says, Verse 9, For I will command and I will sift the house of Israel among all nations, like as corn is sifted in a sieve, and yet shall not the least grain fall upon the earth. But he goes on to say, All the sinners of my people shall die by the sword, which uh, say the evil shall not overtake nor prevent us. So those that think they're self-secure just because they belong to Israel, he says the sinners of my people. They're going to be destroyed or die by the sword. So there's going to be great tribulation and trouble and trial. In fact, in the book of Revelation, we'll see that time of Jacob's trouble that the prophets speak of. And when they go in the tribulation period in the book of Revelation, it will be the tribulation that exists at that particular time. It's yet in the future. But now I want you to, let's read from verse 11 through 15 and then we'll come back and talk about it because there's a lot of things here that are very, very important. And beginning with verse 11. In that day will I raise up the tabernacle of David which is that is fallen down and close up the breaches thereof. That's the spaces or openings. And I will raise up the, his ruins and I will build it as in the days of old. This is a prophecy of what's going to happen to Israel in the future. That they may possess the remnant of Edom and of the, all the heathen which are called by my name. There will be conversion of the Gentiles. Saith the Lord... That doeth this. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that the plowman shall overtake the reaper, and the treader of grapes him that soweth the seed. There will be such a rapid harvest produced, and such prosperity and fruitfulness and blessings. And the mountains shall drop sweet wine, and the hills shall melt. And I will bring again the captivity of my people of Israel. And they shall build the waste cities and inhabit them. And they shall plant vineyards and drink of the wine thereof. They shall also make gardens and eat of the fruit of them. And I will plant them upon... Look at this now. I will plant them upon their land and they shall no more... That's very important. Be pulled up out of their land which I have given them, saith the Lord thy God. There's coming a time of their restoration. It will be final and complete and permanent. Isn't that an amazing thing? That at the very last, we said this is one victorious wind-up of all that's happened in the Old Testament uh, concerning Israel that Amos and the others prophesy out of their captivity of old. 
But we know that this could be could not be the captivity that they were delivered from in the Old Testament because they have again and time and time again be pulled up out, out of their own land. So here, this prophecy says that they will no more be pulled up out of their own land. And in these verses that we've seen, there are so many wonderful things. We're going to point out them one by one in just a moment and try to give them to you. But let me just uh, point out that in verse 12, the heathen are re-embraced. Look, and all the heathen, which are called by my name, saith the Lord, that doeth this, uh, there will be, they will produce revivals or renewals of those that are away from God. Israel will be restored. There will be fruitfulness. There will be prosperity. There will be contentment that's realized because they'll have their, their vineyards and their their gardens and eat of the fruit of them, and they'll be content in that. The last three verses of this chapter describe the millennium in its earthly blessings for Israel. And then at the last of it, then the permanent blessings and glory into which redeemed and restored Israel has entered into. All of this is included. But I want to give you some things here and how important this is because in the New Testament... Look in Acts chapter 15 at the first church council that was held. Acts chapter 15. Because James quotes from this passage of Scripture in the 15th chapter of the book of Acts. And we must study that to see the promise of the tabernacle. Remember verse 11. Hold your place in in, uh, Amos chapter 9 and hold your place in Acts chapter 15. It's very important that we get this lesson. Because in in Amos chapter 9 and verse 11, it says, In that day I will I raise up the tabernacle of David that has fallen down. He's speaking of future time in which the restoration of the tabernacle of David that's fallen down. Remember that Jesus is set upon the throne of David and of his king rule upon that throne and of his kingdom there shall be no end. But look in Acts 15 now. Now bear with me and study this passage with me, if you will, please. This is concerning the Gentiles. We'll give you the verses in a moment. That were converted in the days of the apostle Paul. And there was a great dispute as to whether or not they had to follow the Old Testament uh, law of circumcision that was given to the Jews. And, uh, of course, uh, there was a debate about it. And I will read some and then hurry down with the main points that I wanted to point out of this prophecy that we find uh, in the 15th of Acts that James speaks of. But let's just read it. And certain men, verse 1, let's start there. Certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. The, The Jews were trying to attach this right to the Gentiles. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small a dissension and disputation with them. They determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem under the apostles and elders about this question. To have a council meeting to decide about whether the Gentiles had to keep the law of this kind of law and this uh, right of the Jews in order to be saved. Now verse 3, And being brought on their way by the church, they, and by the way, the church sent them, as uh, their uh, the representatives, being brought on and probably uh, supplied their needs for the travel and whatever is necessary. And being brought on their way by the church, they passed through uh, Venice and Samaria, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy to all the brethren. And when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church. See, they went from one church, and they were received of the church uh, and of the apostles and elders. 
and they declared all things that God had done with them. They told about what they had done, Paul and Barnabas. Uh, but there rose up certain uh, of the sect of the Pharisees, which believed, say, that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. They're putting these Gentile believers back under the law of Moses, and of which they had never been, because they were under the law. And the apostles and elders came together for to consider this matter. It's a question that's come up that has to be settled. And when there had been much disputing, now here Peter enters the picture. Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, you know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. Now Peter points out that God had chosen him to what? go to the house of Cornelius and open the door of faith to the Gentiles. That the Gentiles, by my mouth, he says, should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And he continues. Now, this is Peter. And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost as he did and does. And put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. So they were saved by faith. And to go back there where we studied, if you remember... Uh, this situation in the 10th of Acts, how that the Holy Spirit came upon the house of Cornelius when Peter had preached to Cornelius being sent to him by the Lord. Okay, verse 10. Now therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, that is, these, uh, these Gentile disciples, these new believers, which neither our fathers nor we are able to bear, were able to bear. He says, but we believe. Now look, there's the conclusion that Peter comes to. But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we, who's the we? Jews. We shall be saved, even as they. God purified their hearts by faith. They were saved by faith. And Peter says, you know, we believe we can be saved the same way. We don't have to live up to the law either. We can be saved by free grace, just like they are. So, the conclusion Peter comes to here is that if there's any doubt about anyone's salvation, it's not these Gentiles and it's not their circumcision or being put back under the law. It's we Jews that we believe we can be saved even as they. Now then, let's go on. Now then, verse 12. Then all the multitude kept silence and gave audience to Barnabas and Paul. Now that was Peter speaking that we just talked about and his experience with the Gentile believers. And Barnabas and Paul had already given their report of how the Gentiles were converted. We read that earlier. Now then, look in verse 12. Then all the multitude kept silence and gave audience to, audience to Barnabas and Paul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. So they come back to the Gentile believers again. And after they had held their peace. Now here, here comes in Amos' prophecy. And after they had held their peace, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. <coughs> he says, Simeon, that's Peter, Simon, Simeon, had declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles, now look, to take out of them a people for his name. That's the present age from the days of the apostles till now. He's still taking out a people for his name. It's very important. That we get the time of this. And to this agree the words of the prophets, as it is written. Now, who's he going to quote from? After this, I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David, which is fallen down, and will build again the ruins thereof, and will set it up. He quotes from the book of James that we just read, chapter 9, verse 11. He says, after this, after the Gentile age, and after they are converted, he says he's going to return and he was going to build again. Notice that word after this. It's very important in, the, in this 15th of Acts. 
After this, hold your place in Amos chapter uh, 9, if you will. And turn back there just briefly. Amos chapter 9, verse 11. In that day, in that day. So, James is quoting from Amos here, where he says, In that day will I raise up the tabernacle of David that has fallen down. And and, uh, in Acts chapter 15... James is saying in verse 15, And to this agree the words of the prophet as it is written. After this, after the conversion of these Gentiles, after this I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David which is fallen down, and I will build again the ruins thereof and will set it up. That the residue of men might seek after the Lord, and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things. He's saying that there's that Amos is indicating that there will be not only the conversion of the Gentiles during this present day and age, but even after there's the restoration of the Jews in the nation, that it will still open up the doors of faith to the Gentiles' world, because it says in verse 17, look, that the residue of men might seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things. The present age and then the future. But in the meanwhile, God is going to what? Christ is coming, raise up the tabernacle of David for... Uh, uh, that has fallen down, build again the ruins thereof, and set it up. And there's going to be a future uh, revival of Gentile conversions. And we go over the book of Revelation, we can find all of that. But I'm going to just give you a brief in trying to close this out. If we want to see this program for the ages, number one, He takes out a people for His name during this day and age of grace. And then Christ returns. He's coming again. And He Rebuilds the tabernacle of David, and the restoration of Israel takes place. And then it says that the residue of men, after Israel's conversion, after Israel's conversion, will seek the Lord, which we will call a future Gentile conversion, even after Israel's conversion. And all of this is included in the, we're talking about here in the book of Amos, chapter uh, 9, verses 11 through 15. And we're going to find that Israel's conversion, back to Amos chapter 9 now, if you will, is a permanent uh, conversion. It brings blessings upon them that will be restored to them like as they've never enjoyed before. And it will not just be temporary, though there's fruitfulness and prosperity. But let's look at Amos chapter 9, verse 13. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes him that soweth seed, and the mountain shall drop sweet wine, and all the hills shall melt. There's fruitfulness and prosperity, and I will bring again the captivity of my people Israel, And they shall build the waste cities and inhabit them. And they shall plant vineyards and drink of the wine thereof. They shall also make gardens and eat the fruit of them. There's certainly a fruitfulness, prosperity, contentment is realized. And then the permanency of this whole situation for Israel is this. In verse 15, And I will plant them upon their land, and they shall no more be pulled up out of their land, which I have given them, saith the Lord. We find the permanency the permanent blessings and glory into which the redeemed and restored Israel uh, will enter into and enjoy. And there's so much more that we'd have to take up a study in the book of Revelation to conclude the thought of the Gentiles' conversion and of the fact that Gentiles will be saved even during the tribulation at the end of it. In fact, let me just give you one reference. And if you look at it, just glance over there in Revelation chapter 21. And, you know, you might think that after uh, the millennium and after everything, the millennium takes place in chapter 20 and the new heaven and the new earth, chapter 21. But you might think that 
there's no more Gentile nations to be dealt with. But I want to read some verses for you, beginning with Revelation 21, verse 23, or 22. And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. Now look at verse 24. And the nations of them, here's heathen, the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it. You see, God's not through with this earth. And even when that new heaven and new earth is established, it says, And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it, or unto it, is actually what it says, unto it. We have into in our King James Version, but there is, if you study it out, the word into sometimes is unto more than into. Some of the prepositions, if you want to study them out, are more rendered one way than the other. So they they bring their glory and honor into it or unto it. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. And they shall bring, look, and they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination, or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. And then we get into the eternal state of things in chapter 22. So sometimes, you know, we have a, a uh, an idea that when we come to the end of the age, and when Christ's coming takes place, and then His coming from uh, back to this earth in power great glory, that it's going to be just something from this earth instead of connected with this earth. But that new heaven and the new earth that comes down from God out of heaven, and he says a new Jerusalem, is going to be the center of all uh, activity and all glory and all worship. And within that city, there's going to be no need for what? The sun or the moon or the uh, or anything to give light because it says the Lamb will be the glory and the light of it. And he goes on to say that that other things will transpire outside of that heavenly city that will be connected with this earth that will be uh, brought into relationship with that new Jerusalem that comes down from God out of heaven. So there's quite a lot that we do not understand about the future of the whole world and the future of uh, God's people. We know that in that holy city there shall not be enter anything that would defile or that would not be uh, as God has already predicted, the holy and pure. But then on the outside of it, we know that there can be honor and glory brought unto it from the nations round about. So that it speaks of other nations and other people. So our little mind just has a little glimpse of these glories of the future. And you know, if you study God's Word, we'll find that we just really don't know it all. We don't know a whole lot about what's going to really happen. But He's given us enough enlightenment from His Word to know that it's going to be perfect and good and blessing and eternal glory. And that's where we'd like to leave it and leave the secret things. You know, if you want something that will help you and help me and help all of us when we don't fully understand all of God's program and plan for now or the future. Deuteronomy 29.29. Remember it? The secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but the things which are revealed unto us and to our children. So, let's leave the secret things to God and all that we don't understand to God and take the things that we do understand 
and apply it and live by it and, and, and really uh, bless God for it and thank God for it. Thank you for your patience, kind attention.